Hi, this is Carrie Mitchum. Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond with your host, Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy the show. Hi, friends and listeners. This is host Stephen Brittingham. Do you happen to have a question or a comment for me? Or perhaps you feel that you might make an interesting guest here on Hollywood and Beyond. Whatever your reason may be, please feel free to contact me anytime directly at the show's official email address. That would be Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. That is Hollywood and Beyond Show at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you soon. You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in. Hi, this is Martha Bolton welcoming you to Hollywood and Beyond. And this episode, I'm going to be discussing my new book written with Linda Hope called Dear Bob, Bob Hope's Wartime Correspondence with the G.I.s of World War II. The program usually scheduled over many of these stations, The Art of Living, will not be heard at this time in order that the National Broadcasting Company may bring you Bob Hope in a special program from a naval hospital in the South Pacific. The Art of Living will be heard at its regular time next week. We now take you to the South Pacific. From somewhere in the South Pacific, we present the Bob Hope Show. Network Hope. Well, here we are in this beautiful, romantic South Pacific island. Boy, aren't these islands pretty? Wait till I see that Dorothy Lamour. What a lie. <laughs> but I really hope you enjoy our show today. We have a nice show here with Francis Langford, Jerry Colonna, Tony Romano, Patty Thomas, and Barney Dean. I know you'll enjoy the girls. You remember girls? Yes, sir, they're doing very fine. In some of these islands we visit, these girls have been the first to land. Won't Eleanor be mad, huh? <laughs> of course, she would have made those islands if she stopped to say to the natives along the way. <laughs> We've had a very fast flying trip up to now. Flew all the way down here from San Francisco. Didn't scare me a bit. I read a novel coming down. Going back, I'm going to read the second page. <laughs> Everybody had a lot of fun on the plane. I know because I looked inside and saw them. And when we got about uh, when uh, when we got about halfway down, the pilot turned around to me and said, "Are you a little nervous?" I said, "Yeah, this is only my third time up. He said, you beat me. This is my first." <laughs> It's a little rough out there. Don't you think we ought to have parachutes? He said, don't be silly. The ones with parachutes jumped an hour ago. <laughs> and talk about weather over that Pacific. It was so rough, the automatic pilot bailed out. I've never seen it. <laughs> Finally, the crew chief tapped me on the shoulder and said, in case of an accident, the pilot is the last one to leave the plane. I said, why tell me that? He says, I don't want to make you nervous, but there he is down there. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood and Beyond Podcast, friends and listeners. Thank you for listening. I am your host, actor and writer Stephen Brittingham. My special guest today is Martha Bolton, an author of over 88 books. This Emmy-nominated writer was also the first woman to be a staff writer for the one and only Bob Hope. There is a new book honoring Bob, but it is not so much a reflection of his iconic Hollywood career, but rather his astonishing efforts to bring comfort from home to the troops overseas during the devastating days 
of World War II. Dear Bob, Bob Hope's wartime correspondence with the GIs of World War II is the title. Written by my guest, Martha Bolton, along with Bob's daughter, Linda Hope. A book of enormous significance in historical information. This book also makes clear that while Bob Hope's contributions to cinema is full of seemingly endless laughter, it is the warmth and compassion and humor he brought to those caught up in the despair of a world at war that is truly most significant of all. It is my pleasure and honor to have her as my special guest today. Martha Bolton, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Such a delight to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for this uh, wonderful opportunity. Well, I'm always happy to talk about Bob um, and his incredible heart that uh, I I think we got a glimpse of it, but these letters uh, will show the entire picture of what those troops meant to Bob and what uh, he meant to them. Well, I tell you what, I am looking forward to learning more about your book and the Hollywood icon and man himself, Mr. Bob Hope. I am equally as interested in learning more about you, Martha, and your amazing writing career. I thought before we discuss your book, I'd like to just start at the beginning and ask where you are from. Well, originally Los Angeles, I uh, grew up out uh, in the valley <laughs> and uh, spent, spent all my life out there until Bob uh, started, you know, re- retired and, and slowed down. And then we went to um, Nashville, Tennessee and moved out uh, this way. And uh, so I've got both the country music and the Hollywood movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice combination right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always grew up around entertainment. Well, I'm very curious, Martha, uh, considering your uh, achievements over the years in association with Bob, uh, when you were younger, I'm assuming you had a pretty uh, vibrant interest in both movies and reading. You know, I, I, uh, truly did but more specifically i had a keen interest in comedy and i used to read comic books um including the bob hope comic book that he had uh for many years and i uh um collected jokes and kept them on these three by five cards and uh in this three by five card container uh which i still have today and uh, the first uh, first little book I wrote was in a composition book, and I wrote it when I was nine, and it was called No Fun Being Young, about being the youngest of five, and uh, and, it, and it was humorous. And, and then I entered a uh, cartoon gag writing contest in a newspaper, and, uh, you know, they printed my gag, it, you know, it was the one selected to print, and... So I, I always uh, I could see where I was always going to be a writer. I never I never figured it would be a career, but I always knew in my heart that it would be my strongest hobby. And I uh, wrote poetry and pinned it, uh, t- t- you know, put it on the wall above my bed. And I had like thirty five poems. <laughs> that oh, that wow. was my wallpaper. You know, yeah, yeah. So I have all these memories at the time. I didn't realize it, but looking back now on my life, I can see all of the um, uh, seeds of writing that was, was happening in my life. And uh, I, I, I got a job as a church secretary, and I started roasting the pastor and anybody else, and, and I would roast uh, people, their friends or their 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 boss at work, and I kind of got a reputation of doing these roasts. I'd do other churches, their pastor, <laughs> and oh so uh, yeah. And I got a lot of encouragement to send my work out to Hollywood, and and uh, I had never, you know, the thought hadn't even really crossed my mind too much, but I did. I started um, sending it out, and I started selling to different comedians, Phyllis Diller being one of them, of course. And, uh, and I just had a connection with, uh, her on the, uh, 
uh, cooking and the aging jokes and uh, same with Phil, uh, Joan Rivers. I, I, I did those kind of jokes for her as well. And then started selling. So I, I was, you know, pretty uh, excited about that. And I, I thought, you know, I would like to get into sitcom writing. And so uh, I had read this book by a gentleman named Gene Parrott. And he was the creative consultant for Mama's Family and then also a, a, a writer for Carol Burnett Show. And I just wrote him because he wrote for Phyllis Diller. He, I wrote for Phyllis Diller. He did roast. I did roast. So we had a lot in common. So I, I just wrote him to tell him that I didn't say anything, uh, you know, didn't ask for anything. But he offered uh, for me to come down and see a taping of Mama's Family. And so my husband and I went down and I had carried this scrapbook, this big scrapbook, and had all my work in it up to that point. And, um, and he graciously looked through it all and was very complimentary. So um, he got it to the producer of uh, Mama's Family, which was Ed Simmons. And Ed uh, called me and told me he loved my work and that he would um, uh, be calling me in on the, the next season to, to uh, uh, give him some show ideas. And, and uh, so Anyway, as what happens in Hollywood, uh, the, the show got canceled before I could get called in. Oh, so no. my hopes were dashed. Yeah, I was so disappointed. But as what happens in life, good comes out of bad. And uh, the um, uh, the show ended up coming back. But, but in this period of time, when my hopes were dashed, uh, Gene also recommended me to Bob Hope. And he happened to be a writer for Bob, so he had a he had an inside track to get the material to him. Uh, had me write up some jokes, and and he got them to Bob. And then I just waited and waited, and it wasn't too long. But one night, uh, late at night, after probably after eleven o'clock at night, um, phone rang, and it was Bob Hope, and he told me he he loved my work and gave me some more assignments. So I just started writing for him, and then eventually became his first woman staff writer, um, you know, came on staff and, uh, wow. staffed, and was with him 15 years, 15 years. Thank you for sharing all of that. What an incredible and exciting artistic journey you were having through all of that. Uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed listening to that. Thank you so much. I would like to go back just a bit and ask you, could you share more about the Bob Hope comic books? Yeah, he had, uh, I remember as a teenager buying them and uh, it was a character based on his character. And uh, it was this whole, uh, you could get them on, on eBay and different places. Uh, and it, it lasted for, for a good while. And wow has a lot of additions, so it's kind of fun. Very yeah, interesting. It, it, a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I wanted to be sure and go back and ask you about that. That is, uh, yeah, that but, is very, it does sound fun. interesting to know that I, I read that and, <laughs> and, uh, and then you grow up, grow up and you write for him. So. I mean, wow, there you go. I mean, it just shows you <laughs> the path of life. You know, you just never know yeah. what might be down around the uh, corner, so to speak. Oh, I know, yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, and I was thinking of Mama's Family and what a hysterical show that was, on a side note. Oh, it was great. Yeah. I'm very curious, yeah. Martha, Had how much of Bob's work had you seen prior to actually speaking with him for the first time? Well, like you uh, shared earlier, uh, definitely, you know, I would watch his movies and, and, and the comic book, of course. And then uh, in high school, you know, we would watch um, the, you know, the military shows and, and his specials. It, like so many families in America, that was, the, that was what you did. You sat, everybody sat in front of the television and you, and you watched the Bob Hope special. That is so nice. It was definitely a different time back then. Even when I was growing up in the 80s, that was still the mindset, mm -hmm. especially early to mid 80s. You know, before you right. had all of these on-demand options, you know, when a show was on primetime, it was a, a special event in many occasions. You, di you didn't want to miss it, and you often watched it with family. 
whenever possible. And and it sounds like uh, right. for uh, Bob's show as well, that is just wonderful. Now, what about his movie work? Was there a movie that you um, really cherish when you think back on Bob's career? Well, Pale Face, you know, the uh, <laughs> son of Pale Face and all of, <laughs> all yes. of those were... Uh, were fun and you know seven little foys they're just there's so many of them uh that you you just he was all over the television he was all over yes. radio he was you, you in, in the movies he you know just he he rose to the top he was a box office hit in every area that he attempted uh broadway radio television movies it Nobody compares to his achievements career-wise, much less all of his um, military shows, but the um, and and his you know charitable work. But he just was an achiever. He was an overachiever. He just went to the top and had fun doing it. That's what is so fascinating. He had fun. He made it all look fun and. And so many, you know, try and, you know, they strive and it's so much work and they, and uh, uh, there's so much effort and uh, put into it that it, he made it look so easy that it just, it just came so naturally. <laughs> Not that he didn't work. He certainly worked. Sure. But uh, a lot but of positive fun. energy. He loved. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You're describing it so energy. well, just that he had this positive energy. Uh, I've often used the word a certain warmth, maybe a certain glow right. about him. And he always made me feel good. I shared with you off yeah. the air before we began today that when I was growing back up in the in the 80s, you know, uh, when the weekend would mm -hmm. come or during the summer, there was a lot of Westerns on and World War II movies, but there was also a mm -hmm. lot of Bob Hope movies being shown on reruns. I, and I used to just yeah. enjoy enjoy them so much. I was thinking of your description just a few moments ago. That's how I felt as a viewer. And I would love to ask you this. You've already described him so well. But before we get into your book and this really heartfelt story um, that the book focuses on, involving Bob, how would you overall describe Bob Hope the man? You know, he probably um, driven. Very driven. <laughs> he was driven. He was driven in uh, not only career-wise, but, but a positive driven, not, not mm -hmm. something that was negative. It was a positive. He was driven because he knew he had a purpose. And he was driven because he had made a commitment and he was driven because he wanted to be the best that he could be. And he was driven because he wanted to do as much for other people as he could. And he wanted to make a difference in the world and in all of those areas. And in so many more, he was driven. He, and he drove himself. <laughs> he was just determined to, uh, to not waste his life. He knew hmm. <laughs> in a, in a, in a, uh, not, not really new, but, but whatever, however many years that he was given and it, as it turned out, it was a hundred. He packed so much into those hundred years. That is just mind boggling of what he accomplished in, uh, you know, had he lived, you know, if people were living longer like they used to, and he, and he had it 200 years, he probably would have done twice or three times as much. Mm -hmm. He didn't waste a day of his life. Mm -hmm. He didn't. And, and, uh, driven and, and just he had steadfast focus and he brought commitment to a whole new level. Very, very inspirational. Just listening to your description, uh, certainly inspirational for me. And, uh, and, and, you know, if I may add something, wasn't he so good at the quick comebacks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned that early on in, in the meetings. And I was, you know, the junior writer when I, because, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working with all these legendary writers that had all these credits. And, and uh, so I was so you know, a little nervous to, to put yourself out there, but they would get into like topping 
topping him, you know, trying to get in a, a, a little competition of wits. And I learned real fast that you don't do that because as funny as they were, and they were all very funny, Bob always topped. <laughs> he won the competition. It was, there was no competition, but um, it, it, it such, Oh yeah. He, he, his mind was always going no matter what you're thinking of to say next, he had a, he'd have a comeback for it. Uh, like <laughs> I, one time I was giving him some lines and, and, um, and so I said, well, off the top of my head. And he goes, Oh, we're not coming up there again. Are we? <laughs> <laughs> he just, everything he said, you know, he just, just throws you off, you know, cause you, you're not expecting it, but, um, funny, funny guy, such fun to be around. And, um, the whole room, you know, all of us with the writers and him, oh man, the laughs we had and just fun. <laughs> it was work. It was definitely work, but man, it was fun. Probably one of the best bosses a person could ever have. You know, he never said one unkind word to me in 15 years. Well, yeah. That is very and impressive because we all can have yeah. a bad day here and there. But that says <laughs> that says so much right there about about Bob Hope. Yeah. He was the same guy that he'd leave his dressing room and he'd be the same guy walking out of the dressing room and walking onto the stage <laughs> and then doing his act and then coming off the stage, all the same guy, the same guy when he calls you up during the week, uh, you know, with assignments and it just, he was the same guy. That, that was who he was. Wow. There was no, no pretense. There was no arrogance about him, but, but there was confidence. He, he, he was confident, but not arrogant. Well, what prompted you and, and Bob's daughter, uh, Linda Hope, uh, to work on this project together. I'm very curious. Was this something that goes back perhaps even decades as far as the two of you uh, starting to work on this project together? Yes. Uh, Bob was alive uh, when we started working on it. Uh, I had found, I, I had to work on a you know an assignment where I had to uh, look through the letters. And so I was, reading them and realizing the, you know what it was there the historical significance the insight into his heart the insight into the GI's heart and it was just so much funny letters moving letters historical uh significant letters and just it was just amazing so i i asked bob if um he'd ever thought about putting them into a book that i thought that it would make a really good book and he agreed, and but the but they were so close to his heart, he he wasn't sure that he could get through them and 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 oh. do it. But uh, but he suggested I talk with Linda. Well, Linda grew up with the letters, so she was always uh, curious about them as well. And uh, she had asked the secretary Marjorie Hughes, who had done a fabulous job of, of protecting these letters and keeping them. Uh, through all the years, not only the GI's letters, but but Bob's reply to them on the old carbon, uh, you know, carbon paper and and onion skin paper. So uh, you know, this was all uh, very beautifully maintained. And she even talked with her about doing. Uh, she did one of her high school reports on these letters, so they were close to her heart as well. So we started having meetings and talking about. Uh, the possibility of doing the book and, and, um, and I started going through the letters and, and we'd go back and forth and we got pretty far along, but unfortunately uh, other things, you know, came up and you had to, uh, you know, change gears and, and, and take care of this or do this. And unfortunately Bob passed away in the meantime. And, uh, so we, you know, didn't know what we were going to do. But a couple of years ago, I received an email from her. And by now, then I had moved to Tennessee from L.A. And I received an email from her asking if I wanted to get uh, back on the book. And I was so excited because I never gave up on it. And I know she hadn't either. 
And so we started working on it again. And now the letters were up at the Library of Congress. So actually, I was closer uh, to the letters now uh, being in Tennessee. So I would go up there and go through and, and finish my research and then continue to write the book. And then I would send it to Linda, the manuscript, and then she'd make great suggestions and send it back. And we went back and forth until we got it done. And then uh, the University Press of Mississippi came on board and it was going to come out last year, which uh, we thought, you know, we had all uh, geared for that. But as it turned out, it came out in because of COVID. There were so many things that got canceled, but uh, it came out March of this year. Which, looking looking back, I think is probably even even better because after we all you know survived 2020, we're all mm-hmm. ready for hope. We're all we've all learned that we need each other, like this book says, and um, and there's just so much hope and encouragement in it that I think the world is ready, uh, so ready for it. And Bob was always known for his timing, and I think he he may uh, he may have had a little bit. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, great timing on this one as well. I have no doubt that he might have something to do with all of this when it comes to timing, <laughs> because like you said, we sure could use a, a heavy dose yeah. of, of this type of material. And I was amazed to come across the information that at one point he started receiving approximately 38,000 letters a week. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's <laughs> yes. a lot of letters. It was the po- it is. He was the postman's uh, nightmare and G.I. Joe's hero. <laughs> they had to probably pull up in a, a semi truck. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It it uh, it was amazing the the volume of letters that he had, and and that was the hardest part of of writing the book was deciding which ones um, because you'd think we, we would think we were done, <laughs> but then we <laughs> we'd. we'd want to have to pare it down so then you'd take out some and then you'd find more to put in and then the book would get bigger and then you know so we kept going back and forth of of uh, how many letters and uh, which ones to include so uh it's um it 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 was it was a lot of work in that way but Hmm. but uh satisfying work we feel very good about uh about the ones we picked and you know i think it gives a really a, a variety you know they're funny they're they're moving and um different topics they all cover different topics and um about you know their mothers or or christmas and you know they're all they're sectioned that way uh sweethearts mm-hmm. uh, different uh, uh complaints you know so it's all all through that way but it takes you it takes you into uh, that period of time and that that was one of the goals too that we both had was that we wanted the reader to to really go back in that time and and realize what it was like to to have to wait weeks or months to hear from your loved one that was overseas or for them to hear from home you know mm-hmm. uh, it was just a different time that that uh we can hardly imagine what it must have been like uh, especially under the conditions that they were uh, that they were under and then for this light to uh, come in and uh, lift their spirits, like one uh, one soldier said that you know Bob would would come in and lift the chins up off the belt buckles, which so descriptive. That says so much, right there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know it, it, they must. It's I'm just thinking. Well, some of it is obvious, but I was also wondering what else. Why are why were so many of the the soldiers wanting to reach out to Bob, you know, that many letters a week. And I keep thinking that there must have been some sort of connection to maybe a father figure and also to America itself being back home. Yeah. I think so many of them described it that when they saw Bob, they saw home and he just represented what home represented to them. And some of them, probably look because there were so many 18 and 19 year olds that they probably looked at him as a father figure, but then they also looked at him as a buddy and their best friend and a mm-hmm. member of the family <laughs> and the, and the families uh, looked at him as a member of the family. Like, like he was their guardian. Uh, 
if if Bob Hope was there, if he showed up at Christmas time, then they knew their kid was going to be okay and have a have a Christmas. You know, it just oh, the uh, the emotions that are in these letters that uh, you, you just know when he received them, how they must have tugged at his heart, and the things that they would share with him, and uh, just uh, you you just th- these are things that you would share with your best friend. These are things that that uh, you would share with your family and 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 he was like their family they were they were so connected that um it that just comes through every single page uh the times that they would write him they'd write him from foxholes they'd write him from the camp they'd write him from the hospital beds in traction uh they'd write they hmm. they just whatever they whatever they could find to write on uh, they wrote on uh, V-mail. They wrote on um, toilet. They even some couldn't find stationery, so they wrote on toilet tissue and and wrote the letter on that. Uh, they wrote on. Uh, there was at least one that wrote on uh, a coconut and mailed it to him. <laughs> they just they and and the driving force of them writing. Not only they would want to share their their stories or their jokes, or they would swap jokes back and forth with him and. Uh, their their latest with their sweetheart or whatever, but the, what overwhelmingly comes across in the letters is their gratitude of what he meant, how he kept them going, um, and then Bob's gratitude back to them of what they meant to America. Very well said, and thanks for sharing all of that, Martha. I was thinking about you mentioned a lot of 18 and 19 year olds, a lot of young men over there. And, you know, I was also thinking that for many of them, they never had left home before, let alone to right. a, 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 another country. And then to be caught up in this, uh, you know, horrific uh, uh, world at war scenario. You know, uh, I was just thinking how much that had to mean to the troops to to uplift their spirits, uh, like you said, remind them of home. I came across something that I found very, um, very touching, but I'd like to ask you if this is true. And that is, I had come across information that at times, perhaps some of the troops had asked Bob if he might be willing to call their parents. Uh, was that something that he would do from time to time? Yes. Oh, and wow. what what would happen would if they could get close enough to him at the shows or or you know driving him around or or however they got connected to him, they would hand him their mother's or their dad's um, phone number and ask him if he would call them when he got back home and tell them that he had seen their son or daughter and uh you know that they were doing okay even sometimes even when they were in the hospital uh they would ask him to tell them that they're okay and and bob would after flying home that distance and after all of the tours and all everything that he, that they all entailed he would come home and spend hours and hours and hours on the phone just calling mother after mother mm-hmm. and telling delivering that message and there's letters that validated the the mothers uh writing back and saying how much that phone call meant to them and the the dads uh, the same thing or the wives that, that he had seen their husband and um and they were thanking him for uh, the word and and the phone call it's just he like i said he he took commitment to a whole new level he just if there was anything he could physically do he was not a man he was not a man of excuses anything that he could physically do he would do it you know martha i'm i'm trying to imagine a mom and a dad brothers and sisters perhaps you know in the 1940s and the phone rings, and it's Bob Hope. <laughs> and yeah. just how that had to just bring them so much comfort. And oh, yeah. has had to be so, so unexpected, I'm sure. And I could just imagine right. them telling all their friends, you won't believe who called us today. <laughs> <laughs> Bob yeah, Hope it, called it, us. I know, I know. 
and you know, and even beyond the good word that he would share, but that that and these are moms that probably hadn't heard for weeks, maybe months from their son or daughter. Mm. Uh, and then to get that phone call, oh my goodness, just what what a giving person and, and someone that he certainly could have, you know, when he got home, he could have taken a nap for two days, <laughs> but sure. he would get right on the phone and start making the calls. Now he he would do that when I was working for him uh, in the 80s and 90s, he would come home from from a, a show overseas and would barely get to the airport before he was on the phone with us and and saying, okay, uh, what are we going to do for the next show? Let's start working on the next show. <laughs> so I know that that's his pattern. He, he If he had something, he, I don't think, his the ink ever dried on his to-do list as soon as he wrote it down he could check it off it was done it, that was just his way and he knew the responsibility that he had with those those phone numbers of those um relatives back home and and he wanted to make sure he got that done now during the early appearances involving the USO is it true that he was a, a little bit uncertain if it would really be much of an impact early on, like him showing up? I mean, was it something that kind of caught him off guard, so to speak? Well, his first show was May 6, 1941 at March Field in Riverside, California. And his producer, Al Capstaff, he, had, he was the one that said, let's try uh, taking the show over here to this military base. And and what it was, was uh, not only did he want to do it, uh, but his brother was stationed there. So he had a little bit of an ulterior motive to get Bob over there. Well, Bob <laughs> wasn't sure because America wasn't in the war yet. And so he wasn't sure, you know, what was, uh, you know, what was he going to talk about? What what was expected? And, you know, just it was a new, uh, a new idea that he hadn't thought much about yet because it had never come up. But he, he agreed to give it a try. And when he went there, he was so overwhelmed by their response, uh, the laughter uh, and the cheers and just the love and the appreciation that they all had for him that he was just blown away. And, and then uh, as any comic would be, if you, if you find an audience that you just click with and, and it, this uh, great feeling. So he's, he, he continued, he wanted to continue. Of course, when Pearl Harbor was bombed, uh, then uh, now America was going into the war, but he, he wanted to enlist and Roosevelt felt that his talents were better, uh, would serve America better. And um, if, if he would, do the encouragement and the uh, up the lifting the morale of the troops. So he he decided to do that and did it in such a grand way because he was agreeing to World War II, but he kept it up every single engagement, every single war of his lifetime, and even in peacetime, he would um, champion their causes and make sure that they got whatever they needed. So I think in the beginning it was the laughter of the audience, and and he and he loved that that feeling uh, that he got from them. But over the years, and with everything that he saw, and he saw the sacrifice up close and personal, the love between the GIs and Bob Hope just deepened over every every war, every engagement from. Um, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, uh, and and did it for 50 years. Did it for 50 years. His last show, military show, was uh, when he was 87 years old, and he's crawling in and out of helicopters. Wow. And just when he could, at that age, he had he had lived a life, and he had could have retired very comfortably. And he had enough success behind him that he he had already made his, you know, he, he could look back on a very successful career. But if the GIs were there, wherever they would be, 
he wanted to make sure he was there. And and at 87, 87 years old, he did it all the way to the end. Absolutely remarkable. And Mm -hmm. I tell you what, what a sincere heart he had to continue with his efforts like you described so vividly and well for us. Thank you. I am curious, because we are obviously focusing on these letters and and the troops and all of that, but I'm just curious, when it comes to the war itself, do you ever remember him sharing any specific perspective or thoughts about the conflict itself uh, during conversation, so to speak? Well, it comes across in the letters. He was no fan. He was no fan of war, and and that's a misconception sometimes because he would always be there with the troops. That you know, you could easily think that he was a you know a fan of war, not a fan, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, he was no fan of war. He saw the cost that was being paid. He knew uh, what war was like. He he was a supporter of the troops, and wherever they were, he didn't get into the uh, you know the political side of it. It was he was there for the troops. It wasn't uh, anything beyond that. But it was his his faithfulness, his commitment, living up to his commitment. And when you read the letters, you know that they knew he had their back, and uh, so many just. You know, he was the one that had their back and uh, they felt it. And and he wanted he wanted that position. That was that was what he wanted. He made sure that the GIs got the front rows at his shows or the the patients from the uh, uh, different hospitals and whatnot, that they had the front seats. The officers would be in the back. He was he was he was there for the GIs and and, and, you know, he the officers loved him and he loved the officers as well because they're all risking their life out there. Mm-hmm. But he, he was definitely um, championing the uh, GIs. He, they knew that, uh, that he, he was there for them. He had their backs. That's an yeah. excellent mm-hmm. uh, uh, description right there. That's how I feel whenever I watch an yeah. eclipse. I go, there's a man that, that has their backs. And, you know, I'm very curious, though, how does one store so many letters without damage occurring? I, I, I mean, This could be a very challenging situation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and it could be that some, you know, over the years did get damaged, uh, you mm. know, um, with getting 38,000 a week. Sure, <laughs> sure. It's, you know, that's, that's an awful, uh, awful lot of letters. So, but, but the treasure trove that is there, that, that has made it through all of these years, um, is pretty amazing. Well, I'm thinking about your collaboration with his daughter. I mean, I know this is emotional for you. It has so much meaning for you personally, obviously. Uh, I'm wondering, you know, how was it for her, you know, knowing that this is her father and, bringing back so memories and um, I'm sure this had to be something that uh, meant so much to her, a project that, that she really uh, held close to her heart. Definitely. Definitely. Because when you read the book and you read the letters, you read them in his words, his voice comes through, you know, that is your dad, you know, that is uh, in my case, my boss, (laughs) I know you know that voice, and that's him. Everybody that has ever watched his movies or an interview with him, you know Bob Hope's voice, and it comes through loud and clear. And it's such a um, it has to be uh, so rewarding uh, to realize how much difference. He made one man made in that war and and in so many other situations uh one positive voice, and that was her dad and you know that you read those tributes to him by these soldiers and what what he meant to them and it, you know you have to um, 
Uh, they're, they're very moving and, and they do choke you up, but, but, it, but it's a good cry <laughs> because you're so proud. You're so proud that sure. this man existed and, and uh, we were, you know, the world was blessed to have him pretty amazing man for one person, one person, one person did that, so much for others. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I ask you how folks can purchase your book and, and, and read this uh, treasure trove of, of letters between Bob and the troops and vice versa, I'd like to ask you this question. I was thinking as time went by and over the years and as Bob uh, grew older, I'm just wondering um, the reflection of, of, of all the people that he uplifted and all of the extra efforts he took. I mean, obviously, he, he was fully aware that he did those things. But, you know, as the years go by and you just start reflecting maybe a little bit more, it kind of sinks in. You know what I mean? You kind of go, wow, I was really a part of, of, of all of this. And, and this is amazing. You know, like we said, 38,000 letters a week. Um, when he got older, did he continue to talk about it like he did years ago? Or did you find that it had any significant meaning to him that was different as he got older? Well, as, as um, he would look back and as humble people do, he would look back and there's a quote in the book, um, but he, he would say to, he this one soldier had written him thanking him and, and his reply back, uh, and this isn't verbatim, but just off the, um, the top of my head again, but, uh, he said, you know, sometimes you wonder if you've done enough, but then when it comes from one of the soldiers, then, and they say it, then I guess it's true, you know, um, that he still wondered if he had done enough, even after he had done everything he done had done. So, uh, it, he just always felt there was more he could do. I think that even into his, uh, later years, I mean, he had to have looked back on it and, and been pleased that he had, that he had answered the call whenever, you know, whatever it was he had, he had helped out or he had helped this person or he had written to this mom or he had done this and, and uh, answered as many of these 38,000 letters. And he had changed people's lives because you read the letters and it's, it's obvious what happened. Um, but I think he always wanted to do more. And this was a man uh, who, you know, every bit of his life he wanted to use. So there was no off time. Uh, that he always thought he could be doing something else. So uh, he never got to where he said, that's enough. I've lived enough. I don't have to do anything else. I think he just always, even when he was sick and, you know, toward the end was still giving, just give, 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 you know? Well, I have to tell you what, I'm very touched by our conversation today. And, um, I mean, I feel like going out there and just trying to help someone in need. Um, and I, I have a feeling that this book is going to have an enormous impact on me personally. And I'm sure, no doubt, for so many others, um, especially since, you know, for someone like me, I shared off the air that I've been studying World War II since I was a young boy, and I still do to this day. And one thing that I've learned, Martha, is that you never really stop learning about the war. It was just so complex and uh, so devastating in so many ways. But also, hope was brought to those in darkness. And, and Bob certainly represents the goodness during such a difficult and, and, and you know, time for, for the world during the Second World War. Well, how do folks purchase this amazing book? Well, it's available on uh, online at and in uh, brick and mortar stores as well. So if you if you have brick and mortar stores near you, uh, support them and and order it from there. Uh, but they also have it on 
uh, at Barnes and Noble, at Amazon, uh, any of the uh, internet bookstores and places where you could buy it, but also the the publishing company, you could get it off of their site, which is the University Press of Mississippi. And they would uh, love for you to get it off of there as well. So uh, wherever wherever you can find it, but it's um, uh, if the, if your if your location doesn't have it, I'm sure they can order it. Well, thank you for sharing that information information, Martha. You know, just for a little bit of fun, because we know the man, of course, is was such a talented actor and comedian. Oh wow, one of the one of the best. And now when you add in what we've discussed today. I mean, I kind of have him on a, a, his own level, so to speak. But did he ever share with you um, what it was like working with Bing Crosby in the road movies, for example? They they had such a connection, and it it really wasn't like work. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> they were playing mostly. <laughs> they were absolutely, and they would uh, have their each have their writers. Uh, you know, add add to the scripts on the movies and whatnot. So it was a little competition, and then they'd take off and and go play golf, and then come back on the set. So they were just having the time of their life. And again, this is when all of this other stuff was happening, uh, and he's and he's making these uh, box office hits, uh, one after another after another. It's one year uh, he he did four movies, and it was just like that, just. On and on and on, a new release every few months. Amazing pace that he kept up. (laughs) Although started in 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 that time, but but kept it up all the way to the end. The the pace that uh, uh, someone that's a third his age probably couldn't have handled, but but he'd do it. I don't know. I'd like to know what kind of vitamins he took. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I would like to know that too. So if you find out, will you give me a call, Martha? I will. <laughs> Thank you, because I I, I have a lot of energy. With them. <laughs> I, I could always use a little bit more. So, um, well, Martha, I've enjoyed every moment speaking with you. A true honor, and I would just like to say here at the conclusion that after everything I've learned so far, and I haven't even read your book yet. I mean, I'm going to be learning so much very soon. But it, it's very ironic to me that his last name was actually a symbol of who he was, a man who brought a hope and comfort to others. Isn't that interesting? I, I agree. And, and that's his real name. You know, uh, his, his real name was Leslie Towns Hope, and then he changed it to Bob because he thought it was, uh, you know, more friendlier. And, sure. and, and it's certainly, you know, Bob yes. is just great, and it, and it uh, uh, definitely turned his turned his career around when he you know when he changed it he started uh, uh really living you know that name became so iconic but uh hope was his given name i mean he that was his name and uh it couldn't have been a, a better name for him couldn't have been well i want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining me today and and discussing your wonderful and meaningful book with me. Well, thank you for having me, and it's been a pleasure. And that made the big news official. Big, the biggest. Three years and eight months and seven days after Pearl Harbor, the guns ceased firing and the killing ended. World War II was over. This was it. VJ Day. Peace. It's wonderful. Beyond Podcast is produced, edited, and hosted by Stephen Brittingham. Thank you for listening.